should say welcome to everyone on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and listening on podcast as well. I'm going to talk today about something that impacts everyone here, and that is doubt. I don't believe you if you tell me you never have a doubt. But a bit like cholesterol, there's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol in your heart. There's good doubt and there's bad doubt. I'm going to look at the good doubt today. And I want to see how you and I can take that unbelief, if you will, that comes into our everyday experience and use it for the good and overcome the obstacles that sometimes come against you and I when we're on our faith journey and trying to move forward with God and not letting circumstances bury us. So overcoming doubt is my word today and I'm looking at, there we go, Mark 9. I'm going to mainly be looking at an abridged version of Mark 9, mainly verse 14 to 24. And I think this is so important because doubt, when it is good doubt, is not rebellious. Some people have loads of doubts, but they're rebellious against God. Some people share doubts and their hearts are as hard as nails or their minds are closed. And some people share doubts and they're up to mischief. They're just trying to cause trouble. They're not sincere. But when it's sincere, Jesus will never rebuke that. Amen? Amen. And Jesus takes us where we're at and he helps us move forward. So I'm going to pray to begin, and I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind standing with the prayer, and you don't have to do this if it's not your thing, but if you're okay with it, would you put one hand on your head and another hand over your heart? And we pray as we come around your word, God, not mine, that our minds would be open for what you have to say to us. Can you say amen to that? So give us open minds. And we pray that our hearts would be soft, not to Tom Burke, but soft to you, Lord. Melt any ice that's there. So open minds and a soft heart towards you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Let's take our seats. The context of this is that just before what we're about to read, Jesus Christ was up, the Bible tells us, on a high mountain. He took his three closest buddies with him, Peter, James, and John, up to that high mountain, and they literally had a heavenly experience when Moses and Elijah broke through from the other side, as it were, and they encountered them. Peter, James, and John go down the mountain, and then shortly afterwards, Jesus comes down, and they literally go from the high top of the mountain into the valley, And they run into trouble. So here is God's word telling us in Mark 9. Jesus came down the mountain and he came into a crowd. And he saw a group of scribes arguing with the disciples. What's wrong? Jesus asked. A man came forward saying, Lord, I brought my son here because he has a mute demon that causes seizures. First thing we see here is we meet a bunch of people called the scribes and then we hear of this condition, a mute demon. Who were the scribes? They were experts in Jewish law. If a man decided to divorce his wife, he would go to them and tick the boxes to get a a Jewish religious divorce. 
If someone had a condition on their skin, they would examine and declare that person a leper. These were the scribes. They were mostly Pharisees. Pharisees were the most zealous, most legalistic of all the Jews. Not all Pharisees were scribes, but all scribes were Pharisees. So, if you will, they were Pharisees on steroids. Mm, lovely crowd to hang around. Don't you want to go for lunch with a scribe? Not really. What we see here, they are criticizing the disciples' ministry. And you will come across those people in Christian circles, and some people think they have a ministry to criticize others. They don't. That is not a valid ministry. God forbid anyone isn't open to critique. God forbid any ministry isn't open to hear where they've gone wrong. We have to have a humble heart. But I'm talking about people who regard themselves as just critics. And I remember years ago coming across a guy and he called himself Watchman on the Wall. He watched everyone else. He wouldn't allow anyone to speak into his life, but he judged everyone else. That is a pharisaical spirit. It's not just in churches. You can get them in work. And get them in school, neighbours, families. All they do is criticise. And like these guys, they offered this poor boy no help. They didn't go and comfort the poor father. There was nothing positive coming out of them. Only negativity, only criticism coming from pride, ego and selfishness. And what does Jesus do in effect? He silenced the scribes. Hallelujah. Amen. The God I know silences the voice of the enemy. Amen. No matter how religious that enemy may appear. No matter how convincing that enemy may appear. So Jesus comes down into the chaos and he silences the scribes. We hear nothing from them straight away. He asks a question, what's wrong? We kind of take this for granted because Jesus loves me and we kind of heard that for years. But go to all the other gods of the other faiths. They don't do this. You don't see those gods asking, what's wrong? Because the God we love cares, hallelujah. So many other so-called gods and other religions demand sacrifice. But our God has paid their sacrifice. Hallelujah. So he comes and he asks What's wrong? If it was me in that situation, and I see Jesus, and I hear those two words, what's wrong? Suddenly, there's hope. We're told, this man comes forward from the crowd, and he says, my son has a mute demon that causes seizures. So, the Bible is very clear here. In one level, this looks like epilepsy, and epilepsy can be a physical condition, and sometimes mental. But straight away, we have to, as Bible-believing Christians, question, is every physical problem physical? Is every mental problem mental? Is it not reasonable to assume that sometimes the root is spiritual? And that's what we see here. And So they say a mute demon. What's the big deal about this? Well, this was regarded as the most difficult of all spirits to come against. No name meant they couldn't call out the name. Michael referred to last week, what's your name? Jesus asked the man in the graveyard. My name is Legion, he said, for we are many. 
If you look throughout the Gospels, you can see they so often asked the name of the Spirit before they came against it. It's like you got to know who your enemy is. Do you know you've got an addiction? Do you know you're suffering from loneliness? A lot of people don't realize it. Know the name. Who'll say amen? Amen. Is your enemy fear? Is your enemy depression? Know your enemy and come against it in the name of Jesus. But if we don't know the name, we're just punching in the dark. So straight away, Jesus knew this was difficult. The narrative goes on. I asked your disciples, the poor father said, to cast it out, but they couldn't do it. Bring the boy to me, Jesus said. When the boy saw Jesus, the demon immediately threw the boy into a rigid convulsion. He fell down, foaming at the mouth. How long has he been like this? Jesus asked his father. So here we see, first of all, that Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Can I say to you today, bring your loneliness to Jesus. Bring your addiction to Jesus. And I'm not just talking about alcohol. Could be a secret addiction, like gambling or pornography. Bring it to Jesus, because he delivers. Hallelujah. 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 And not only... Does he say, bring it to me? He cares enough to say, how long? How long? Remember the night I met Denise? Um, We were at a dance and they were singing, how long has this been going on? Anyone remember that song? No, everyone over 90, put up your hands. (laughs) And we often joke about it. How long has he been like this, Jesus says. Why did he ask that question? Number one, he wanted to know the length of time. But he also wanted the father to engage more so that the father would be self-aware by answering the questions. It goes on. Since childhood, the father said, he has been thrown into fire or water to destroy him. What does the enemy do? He comes to? Amen. Steal, kill, and destroy. His fingerprints are all over this. If someone you love is in danger of being stolen, killed, or destroyed, know your enemy. That's his fingerprints. Please, can you help us? The father asked Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, If you believe, then all things are possible. Immediately the father cried out, With tears, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. If you believe, Jesus said, all things are possible. Now, Jesus knew the man had a bit of belief. Of course he did. But he's trying to, Jesus asks you or me questions sometimes. And it's not that he doesn't know the answer. He wants us to know the answer. It's like, Sometimes people go to therapy or meet a good friend or pastorally and the person asks them a question. It's to get, bring the person to a place where they're more self-aware of what's going on in their life because so often life is so full of stuff, we don't get ourselves. Yeah. If you believe all things are possible, of course the man believed. 
Why else did he go to that valley? Why else did he go to the place where Jesus and the Christ followers were? Why did he go there? He believed something could happen. He really believed it. But what does he do and how does he answer Jesus? Immediately the father cried out with tears, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. You always know when someone is sincere, when you get an immediate reaction, an immediate response. You ask a question and someone answers right out of the bottom of their heart. It's so different from someone who goes, eh, and you can see them. <laughs> Do the kind of people who make it up as they go along. They're literally pulling stuff out of the air to give you an answer to kind of keep you happy. That wasn't going on here. Immediately. And he wasn't just saying, my child has been hazard. No, no. He's crying. Tears. Forgive me, probably snots. How would you be? If the child you loved was like this, just, just consider it. We think this was at going on at least 10 years. It's most probable, Bible scholars are saying, that we're looking at a young teenage boy. So it's at least 10, 12 years. And that's day and night. He could die at any moment because the demon in him would throw him into water or fire. Can you imagine the father going, I'm just going to chill out. This is my time for a holiday. Let's go up to Caesarea, to the beach, honey. No, you are constantly caring. And some of us here are constantly caring for a family member or someone we love. And this man, in my opinion, crying shows, because men don't tend to cry in public, it shows the guy was burning out. It shows the guy was at the end of his tether. He was stressed off his game, wouldn't you be? Imagine if you're looking after someone for more than 10 years, day and night. It's interesting the father was here, not the mother. We often meet the mothers coming. But here the father came, and the father, if you will, owned it. He's crying. And look at his statement. I believe, help my unbelief. We're getting back to good cholesterol here. I believe. I think everybody here believes. Maybe you're still checking us out. You're not really sure where you stand in your faith. Can I suggest you wouldn't be in a place like this unless there was some bit of belief going on? Who'll say amen? amen. That's why anyone comes into it. There's some kind of belief going on. Maybe a friend invited you or maybe you made your own way, but there's something going on. So he had belief, but he said, Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus didn't turn to him and say, you wicked man, how dare you have unbelief? Do you know who I am? No. There was none of that. Now Jesus in Nazareth just moved away. Now, he didn't do miracles there because there was no faith there. He just moved away. But he doesn't move away from him. Very different kind of doubt. In Nazareth, they were hard. In Nazareth, there was a rebellion really against God. But this man wasn't rebelling. He wasn't up to mischief. He wasn't playing games. It was genuine. You know what? If you're genuine and you've got a doubt and you've got unbelief, bring it to Jesus. He won't rebuke you. He'll meet you and me where we're at. Hallelujah. Amen. And he'll bring us forward together with him. Real people, real church. Let's be honest and transparent with God. And as much as we can with one another. Who'll say amen? amen? That's what we're called to be. We're not called to be people playing games or putting on the best face to others. We're called to be who God made us. And if I have a doubt, I bring my doubt to God. 
And the Lord always honors honesty and humility. Two men went into the temple to pray. One said, I thank you, Lord. I'm not like this other man. He was a Pharisee. But the other, the, that man, but the tax collector, collector was down the back and he said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, it was the tax collector who left that place more justified before God than the other fellow. Have a bit of honesty, a bit of humility. And Jesus will meet you there. Amen. Amen. So the man is crying. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. I think that's so many of us here this morning. I love what the Prince of Preachers in London 150 years ago said. Charles Spurgeon, you first have to have faith to know that sometimes you struggle with unbelief. If someone is an atheist, if someone is cold-hearted and closed-minded, they're not going to think about unbelief. <laughs> unbelief? What's that? It's not their issue. It takes a person of faith who knows what unbelief is. So don't let the evil one isolate you and thinking, I'm surrounded by a couple of hundred people who are full of faith and I'm the only one with a kind of a bit of a doubt going on. Everyone has a bit of a doubt going on. But we bring it to Jesus. Yes. And all I can say is 40 plus years of being a born again Christian is each time I bring my doubt, I meet Jesus in the doubt. And he brings me through it. And you know what? You're a little bit stronger. So as time goes on, I can think of me two years a Christian. And having a big doubt and God met me. Then about four or five years a big doubt and God met me. And each time he meets me in the doubt, I get a little bit stronger. Still not there. But by God's grace, one day we'll all cross over. But in the meantime, he meets us when we're honest with him. So be honest. What happened to this boy? Well, Jesus delivered him. It tells us. Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, saying, come out of him now. And he calls him by his name, deaf and dumb spirit, and never enter him again. The spirit or the demon cried out, convulsed the boy, and left him as if he was dead. Many thought he was dead, but Jesus lifted him up. And he wasn't dead. Two things here. I believe prophetically, God is saying to someone, you were healed before. I don't know, was it miraculously or through a doctor? And you are concerned that you're going to get sick again. Or God answered a prayer for you. I don't know, is it a relationship or... And you're afraid that the enemy will enter in again. I am burning in my soul to pray that what Jesus said is true for you. That spirit will never plague your life again. Amen. I'm just going to break with tradition here. If you've got a prayer, and you know God has answered you in the past, but the enemy is stealing your peace by trying to whisper that that's going to go. Just, I'm not going to call you up, but you're going to have to be brave, because I'm going to pray. Would you just stand in your seat? Just stand where you are now, and we're going to pray in Jesus' name. That's it. Just stand if you're afraid of that, that's it. Can I ask you, that's it. Would you just raise your hands where you stand? I don't know how many we have, about a dozen, 15, 16 people. In the name of Jesus, whatever that illness, whatever that fear, whatever that addiction, whatever that problem was that you delivered my brothers and sisters from, we pray now 
that what was said by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago would be true for each one who's identified with that prayer today in Jesus' name. May that problem, that sickness, that issue never come into your life again. In Jesus' name and all the people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, guys. You can take your seats. Can I? Yeah, let's give them a round of applause. That wasn't easy. That wasn't easy. One of the reasons we keep the lights low here is that people can be a bit more real without a big spotlight on them. It's very important that we're honest and that we can do this because the devil hates honesty. The devil hates anything that becomes transparent. Can I just say to, it's for one of you, the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army were chasing them and the Lord had opened the waters, they went over and they looked behind them and they saw Pharaoh and the armies drowning. And the Lord said, you will never see that enemy again. Amen. Never again. The evil one will steal your peace and my peace by plaguing you with a doubt. You will never see that again. Believe it now in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Many thought he was dead. Many thought I was dead. I can remember my beloved brother here, Michael, and people saying, I don't think he'll make it at all. I remember people saying that about me spiritually. I can remember so many people who I love and respect and people looking on and going, I don't think they'll ever make it. They'll never make it spiritually. They'll never make it in their careers. They'll never pass an exam. Many thought they were dead. How many relationships and marriages were given up on? But Jesus lifted him up. Amen. <sighs> Don't settle for death. Choose life. Amen. Choose the life that Jesus brings. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus lifted him up. Later the disciples asked him. Privately they asked him why they could not cast the demon out of the boy. He said this type can only come out by prayer and fasting. Now this is. So the disciples had a why question, maybe you do today, and Jesus answered them. And we see here the strong suggestion from Jesus that there is a hierarchy of evil. We know there are archangels and angels. Well, spiritually, there appears to be a hierarchy there. And again, it's suggested in what's known as the Pauline epistles, the letters of Paul in the New Testament. For example, Ephesians 6.12 says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities, against powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so, remember this was written to the Christians in a city called Ephesus. You can see the ruins in Turkey of the temple and so on there to this day. And when Paul wrote to them about this, it spoke to them very clearly. And it's important because we've just been seeing how God meets us with our unbelief and our doubt. But we have to know there's a fight. You and I were born into a battle. And we have to fight the good fight. Can you say hallelujah? Because that's what we're called to do. When these boys heard wrestle, 
They got a picture straight away. You see, when I read that as a young Christian at the time on TV, there used to be wrestling, and sometimes the lads and myself would watch it, and there was a guy called Giant Haystacks. I always remember him. But these are like comedic characters. They're almost like clowns, and they would be bashing each other, but no one kind of got really injured. Or if you ever watch Greco-Roman wrestling in the Olympics, it's all rules. But you see, to the early Christians, when they used the word wrestle, they didn't think of giant haystacks or the Olympics. The Greek word was pale. It meant no rules. So inevitably, when you went into the ring, your fingers, your wrists, your legs were broken. One of the two, and I don't want to be graphic, but we have to get what the scripture is saying, their eyes would be gouged out of their heads. So of the two, one would definitely be blind, but very often they'd be dead. So when Paul said to the lads in Ephesus, we wrestle, we wrestle against spiritual principalities and powers, they knew that either the power would end up blind or dead, or they would end up blind and dead. And they knew in the city of Ephesus and all over the Roman Empire, there were big hairy Muslim men on the streets with no eyes in their heads, literally begging because they had ended up blind. I can think of Christians over the last 40 years who've ended up blind spiritually. And I can even think of a few who've ended up dead spiritually. Why? Because they didn't take the fight seriously. That's why, brothers, sisters, sometimes we need to fast and pray. Would anyone give me an amen for that? Amen. It's part of the deal. It's part of the deal. We were never meant to be candy-coated Christians. We were meant to be warriors. Hallelujah. And the women can be warriors just like the men. Will the sisters say amen? Okay, about half the women said that. The others went, oh, I let the man fight for it. Oh. We're all called to fight the good fight. Look at it. Principalities. That seems to be the number one. Then we have powers. Then we have rules, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness. It is all suggestive of a hierarchy of evil. And sometimes in your family or in your life, you will come up against something that is far stronger than anything you've come up against before. I'm not talking about someone who may be foaming at the mouth, that can happen, but it's unusual. But you just know this is a much bigger battle you're fighting than anything you fought before. Remember these scriptures. Remember what Jesus said. This type can only be cast out or overcome by prayer and fasting. So brothers and sisters, we grow up a little bit. We take our faith seriously. We praise God for the joy and the healing and the comfort and the community. It's part of it. But we also are prepared to fight the good fight. Yes. And say, I will not let this overcome me. I'm not going to be the one to lose my spiritual sight. I'm not going to be the one who's going to end up dead. You're going to end up dead, devil. Get behind me, Satan. How about we get a bit of courage, yeah? How about we go into the fight, yeah? How about we overcome the doubts? Bring it to Jesus, knowing that there is a force against us, and then we overcome it. To conclude, Jesus 
is on the mountain of blessing. The mountain where you're literally in a heavenly place. And he comes down into the chaos. And Jesus Christ silences the enemy, comforts the father, heals the boy, and answers the disciples. You know what? I'm inviting Jesus into my chaos. How about you? No. How about you? You mightn't have chaos now, but I've never met a human being who doesn't have chaos from time to time. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a powerful song, but we're going to start off with the chorus. I'm not afraid to show him my weakness. I'm not afraid. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to bring my doubt. In the moment, I'm going to give an opportunity where we bring our unbelief to the Lord and pray that he will silence the enemy, comfort those who are caring, heal or answer, because there's nothing and no one like him.